So be good, for goodness sake. Oh, somebody's coming. Somebody's coming. Somebody's coming to town. That's right. It is episode three of Opening Weekend, the movie podcast that travels back in time to revisit opening weekends of the past and revel in that other great American pastime, going to the movies with our friends. Coming soon. This summer. At theaters everywhere. Opening Weekend. Read it R. I'm Jason O'Connell, and I am again joined by my dear friends Fred Berman and Dan Matisa. And this week, we want our MTV, we wonder where the beef is, and we learn <laughs> that with Mogwai comes much responsibility. That's right, 1984. It isn't just a book you're forced to read in school anymore. Reagan was on the road to re-election, Springsteen and Prince were topping the pop charts, Bill Cosby was mere months away from becoming America's sick, sick dad, and puberty was <laughs> ravaging us all, at least the three of us. So, welcome, boys. Where were we all in June of 1984? Well, I was talking like this, I think. <laughs> what are these hairs? What are these hairs? <laughs> I was also saying one of these hairs about Fred's hairs. (laughs) That's right. You guys have been close for a long, long time. I was shoving my crotch into Dan's face at (laughs) 10 years old. Uh, no, ten years, not a ten years old. I was uh, I was twelve years old in nineteen eighty four. That was a good. I was the same age my son is now. Oh my gosh, eighty four. That was a good time, man. That was a good time. That was sixth grade. Uh, the summer was starting. I was about to go to the Village Bath Club, which is the pool I went to, which sounds sort of like a, <laughs> a very different type of Dan, bath club. Dan and I both flinched when you said, <laughs> I, I was starting to go to the bathhouse. and I would go to the Village just, Bath Club. First, we'd go to the Eagle, and then afterwards, we'd cool off at the Village Bath Club. Lord um, have mercy. Yeah, that was where me and all my... IDs. <laughs> That was where me and all my friends would go swimming, and we'd talk about movies, and uh, I, yeah, it was... You were so cool. Was I? I don't know if I was I think you probably were. Because me and my friends went swimming and saw movies? How does that make me cool? That's better than I did. I did not... There was no special beach club that I went to. No, this was not a beach club. I went to the library. No, this was a small little... There was a pool, and there was like some tennis courts. This was... We were... um, no, it was nothing special. The village. We didn't have friends. Listen, the the, <laughs> the the this follows up on the point I made on episode one. You were one of the cool kids, Fred. It wasn't cool to be as as dorky as Jason and I were. It was the, we were yeah. the nerds before nerddom was cool. I was you not were already a, a cool dude. I was not a cool kid at all. I had a select group of friends. We would make movies together with our Super 8 films. We made movies like the Jewish Samurai Twins. <laughs> we made a movie called The Man Who Got Pissed Off When He Was Pissed On, which that that was literally what wow. it was about. I played a character named Sherman Schnozzlebutt, and when people would urinate on me because, you know, common occurrence could happen, I would kill them. That's what we did. Me, Josh Klainberg, Joe Salvatore, Damon Reynolds, Steve Pinzino, and this kid, Rob Sullivan. We called him Suds. That was his nickname. We'd get together and make these movies. And that was it. That was that was my core group of friends. I don't know. If that's cool, then all right. I you had seven it. more friends than I did. 
<laughs> I spent my whole summer making a comic book in the dining room of my grandparents' house. Like, ever, didn't awesome. see. I mean, maybe I saw a couple of friends that summer. I probably did, oh, and only to go way, to movies. But you were way more book? pathetic than me, than Jason. I'm sorry. <laughs> No, it was a, the comic book sorry. turned out well. It was good. It was <laughs> <laughs> it sounds more like a manifesto. Well, it's like a, I was in my dining room, my grandmother's house all summer. Yeah, well, that was that was kind of they had the best light. Oh, I was not. I was not a cool kid. Was, oh my god! <laughs> I wasn't hanging out with girls, though. I mean, look, I'll no. I'll take the cool guy moniker of this trio, but I don't think it fits at all. Well, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll find out soon enough. I got some questions for you. Uh, I was trying to uh, play baseball. Trying to, I try. I tried a little bit of everything. Never drugs. This is the. <laughs> this is very much the just say no. Uh, era. Yes, drug right. Nancy Reagan is on Nancy, different strokes saying Nancy don't on, do it on Mr. T's lap. At the yeah, White House. Right. You remember was that, that before or after Gordon Jump was on different strokes? <laughs> During, Every, I think. Everything is either BG or AG, right? <laughs> uh, before or after Gordon in the different strokes pantheon. Oh, poor Dudley. But, uh, you know, I tried a little bit. I it was There was a little bit of uh, uh, sports. No good at that. A little bit of, you know skateboarding no good at that a little bit of uh, music i was okay break dancing i think i tried once or twice couldn't do it i was so <laughs> break dancing man t- were we, you good we, oh no i was terrible i was oh, awful but, but you we did became, it right we became a did little bit a obsessed um i i think i tried to start a crew it didn't last though um yeah the all jew but two crew um it was uh it, yeah it was a, it was a, it was a big big movie year uh 1984 it was the first time a uh, little trivia. First time in history that four films had crossed the $100 million mark at the box office. The summer kicked off with Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. It continued with hit after hit, Star Trek Three, The Karate Kid, Purple Rain. Earlier that spring, we had Splash and Footloose. And later in the fall, we got the first installments of Beverly Hills Cop, A Nightmare on Elm Street, and The Terminator. But <laughs> June 8th, June 8th, June 8th, 1984 was a very big deal in that it saw the simultaneous release of two of the biggest movies of not only that summer or even that year, but really of the decade. And what's more, they're still as popular now as they ever were. Ivan Reitman's Ghostbusters and Joe Dante's Gremlins. These were bizarrely similar films. They were two big studio comedies that also played as horror fantasy movies. But... Before we turn our focus onto the big blockbusters, there was one other wide release on June 8th that we need to talk about. Beat Street. Beat Street! <laughs> on New York City Street, with the smoking fucking beat, they used to hang out all night and just gang fight, leaving bodies all over the street. But now it's hip hop, break dancing pop, electric boogie just won't stop. Everything in the town is built around that cutting, scratching, hip hop sound on Beat Street. Beat Street! At the forefront of early hip hop culture, DJ Kenny Kirkland, his breakdancing brother Lee, and their graffiti artist friend Ramon all have hopes of showcasing their talents outside the confines of the South Bronx. 
when composer and choreographer Tracy Carlson, played by Ray Don Chong, runs into Kirkland and Lee at one of Manhattan's hottest nightclubs, she offers Lee an opportunity to perform on TV. However, the crew has a long way to go before achieving their dreams. The movie features appearances by the Rocksteady crew, Cool Modi, Grandmaster Melly Mel and the Furious Five, and many more hip-hop artists of the day. It was considered to be a bit of a spiritual sequel to the year's earlier breakdancing film Break-In, but Beat Street was not so purely focused on the dance craze of the moment, and its grittier, bleaker wintertime setting was thought to be a bit of a turnoff for its target audience. The movie ended up making $5 million in its opening weekend, with a total gross of only only 16 million. Fred and Dan, what did you think of Beat Street? Well, I'll tell you. Um, you know, it's not a great movie, and it's, uh, I can see, uh, I, I think it suffered from, you know, maybe actors who weren't necessarily hip hop artists and hip hop artists who weren't necessarily actors, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. But it was, I, I actually enjoyed it. Now, I didn't see it when it first came out. Um, I believe I, I may have seen Breakin'. I feel like I saw that one. I'm not sure. At least I saw a lot of it. And that was, a, that, w- that took place on the West Coast, if I, if I recall. I feel like it was much I sunnier and so. more colorful. It definitely uh, was. I can't remember. I only saw part of Breakin' 2, <laughs> Electric yeah. Boogaloo. And that did seem, I, I know it was much more vibrant and colorful. So yeah. I don't remember where but it this took was, place. uh, I, 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 you know what? I, I, I I enjoyed it. I didn't mind it. I didn't, you know, the, it, it's it's dated, um, but uh, and it's definitely like a different look at the scene. Maybe a more realistic. It's it's more just yeah. about like these kids from the Bronx. I, you know? I liked it in, in that regard. I like. I agree with you wholeheartedly. You know, not the greatest acting, not the most no. incredible story put on film, but but com- oddly. Compelling, compelling just as almost like as a time capsule of the yes. 80s and that part of new york absolutely in the south bronx i just i liked how real everything looked and felt and my favorite stuff was just watching them walk around the neighborhood and I'd up on the subway agree. platforms yes. and stuff i really liked it what do you think dan yeah i really liked it too and for those same reasons it re uh, you know um, I spent a lot of time in the South Bronx at this time in my life. No, I spent exactly <laughs> zero, zero moments in the South Bronx. But it was re- it was really cool to see it. Yeah. And it was really cool to be there. I felt like this is a really immersive movie. Mm-hmm. I was surprised at how immersed I was in it. I was like, I don't even know if I'm going to feel any any connection to this but i felt connected to every character in it and i was just like the main thing i felt when i saw this movie was man i wish i had seen it then i I wish i had seen it as a 10 year old because i would have been full fully on board with the i mean these were the people that invented the term hip-hop like it didn't exist before the people in this movie i thought i thought it was a really cool exactly jason time capsule of that time yeah yeah, I re- yeah, I really. In fact, I found that. I mean, the break dancing is so impressive. It's really great to watch. So it's good. so fun to watch. It's yeah. excellent. Um, you know, and so is the music. But I, f- I actually found like the the scenes I was most interested in were the actual scenes, and not even because it was, you know, again, like we say, it wasn't necessarily amazing acting. Although there is some 
Ray Don Chong is very good. Some of the supporting cast is very good. The mother, Mary uh, Alice, Mary the mother, Alice. she's terrific. She's, she's and she's done a million things. She's, oh she's a legend. Wonderful. Yeah. So perfect world. Yeah. Yeah. I was just very yes, yes. I was just really drawn into their world and their story and i really yeah i i, I kind of loved the quote-unquote book scenes more than you know i was a than, big fan of ramon I, lo- I loved his stuff i found it very interesting and that's was, a whole other side of this is yeah. sort of the graffiti side so you get you get the the main character is sort of this rapper and dj the secondary characters are the breakdancers break and then you get ramon who is a graffiti artist and who yeah. he's got sort of the it's almost like the the uh the white whale it's the it's the white uh yeah, the white the subway, subway train that he can't wait you. to put his Look his art that. on there yeah. you know what i mean it's so cool Dig it. this is really fresh ramon where'd you learn to do all this english class no i'm serious no kidding i used to trace these old dc comics because it was so boring that's why I figured out all the streaks and blurs and shit. But yo, man, not too high in that cloud, all right? You're gonna go over that phase two up there. Aw, oh, come on, I ain't stupid. What's phase two? Phase two is the guy who practically invented the idea of burners. Before that, everything was just his little tags. Oh, a tag is your name. And this, that's the burner. I do remember it being marketed probably because Breakin came out just a couple of months before that and was right. a pretty, you know, relatively big hit. And I just remember the the marketing of Beat Street was purely I thought about the the breakdancing at the time. Mm. At least that's what I remember. I I, I don't know that's if what that I was remember as well. Yeah, it makes intent. sense. Um yeah. and yeah, totally makes sense, but I thought I was very taken by the fact that yeah, that it's it's about all these these people of this time and this place trying to uh, express themselves and and whatever their creative passion was yeah. like trying to like find an outlet for it and trying to make it it reminded me a lot of even the look of it it reminded me of fame the old uh, the movie oh, and the tv show fame yeah, yeah, there's yeah. something about that too but um and they loved the neighborhood there, there was no there was really no mention of like you know we got to get out of here it was it was more about just like no we just got to do our art that's um, true and well yeah, and to that was, to that end the, i thought the most interesting scene was when you know in, in the in the in the description on the uh on the roku which is how i watched it it mm-hmm. said a uh, a young uh, <laughs> a young composer played by ray john don chong inspires a group of street street uh, uh no. kids to, it's like that's not what's that not movie. What she tries to she tries to co-opt their art <laughs> right. in a way in that scene where she's like yeah we'll tape you and then we'll we'll basically copy your choreography and yeah. they're like no 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 you won't this is our thing my brother ain't here to be in your show is he I'm afraid this performance is limited to our students. Well, how come no one told him that? I thought they had. I made it perfectly clear to Lee. That's cool. Ain't no big deal. I've never been on TV before, so if you just flip on that tape... I don't think so. Maybe tomorrow, if you come back, we can... But what happened? I don't understand. We're too busy now. Wait a minute. He can't see the tape? After y'all check him out like he's some little freak? You wait a minute. No, no, man. You wait a minute, mister. I mean, lady, y'all be showing people how you down with breaking, and that's bullshit because you ain't down with nothing. I remember as a kid when all those movies came out, you know, and, and I, we, all of us were sort of, you know, enchanted by this new form of dance you call breakdancing. We all wanted to learn it, and none of us could do it. I mean, I grew up, you know, in, in white suburbia in Long Island, and it, was, it just seemed like this amazing thing, and, and I wonder... And by rap as well. Uh, yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. It was so it w- it was really 
it was it was sort of foreign to me and yeah. it wasn't you know in in, uh, in in my sphere and and uh, yeah I agree with you I wish I saw it back then there there was a part of me that uh, I'll admit I was like I, I I almost didn't feel like I could see it like it almost seemed like too gritty you know mm-hmm. there, there's something so urban about it and I'm like I I you know I don't and and watching it now it reminded me of that too I wondered if I would have thought that that you know just living up in the Bronx and there was, you know, with sort of like the burned out buildings, there was, yeah, I think something at that age that seems so foreign to me. Um, but I, I wish I had seen that movie cause it, it was so different, uh, just now it was put together than some of the other, like, like you said, break in and break into electric boogaloo. There was this flash about break dancing back then and watching solid gold and everything. Mm-hmm. And this was very, this was very different. It was, it was gritty and, and it was just, it, 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 there was a great palette to the whole thing and yeah, oh, yeah. it looked so yeah. good yeah the, the winter time in new york it just in the bronx it just looked so good the snow on the ground you really you really felt like it clearly they're shooting this in the time and place that they're telling this story and it, it was uh you know i i thought it was great i thought it was that immersive was a great word dan i i do feel yeah. it's really immersive the director stan latham is a multi uh naacp award-winning uh artist and this was produced by um harry belafonte yeah, you know, right. um, very right. famous singer actor activist you know um th- i mean th- the profile on this was 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 very big and and very and very good and it was uh um, you know, I, I agree about the palette, you know, you, you do, you do sort of feel the gray and the grit and the, the grimness of it, but it's also kind of a wonder world, right? It's also kind of a fantasy yeah. mm-hmm. version of it that there, because it's not, you know, you don't see, uh, beyond the graffiti. Um, it's not a, it's not, you know, like we said earlier, this is an era where it's like, the, the thing that's being hammered home to us again and again on every show and on and, and in school is don't do drugs. You know what I mean? Just say no. All mm-hmm. of all of that. And even that song White Lines is about don't do drugs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Every time that song came on the radio, I got scared. I don't know if you guys did, <laughs> but as soon as I hear that, I was like, oh God, here comes the scary side. I promise I won't do drugs, Melly Mel. I promise. I promise I'll never do cocaine. But you know, that doesn't come into this at all. It's just yeah. about the art. It's just about them enjoying each other. Even when the two groups are like, I know. we'll see you at the, we'll see you at the Roxy. It's to have a dance off. Right. Yeah. It's wonderful. And it kind of has a musical theater structure to it in a way. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. I mean, my God, the whole dance off at the, in, in at the, the subway station, right? In, oh, that was right. great. But also the one in the, in the first one in the club. In I the mean, Roxy. that went on for oh, in the yeah. Roxy. That went on forever. Uh, and I was like, oh my God, this is, they're just going and going and going and going and going. They're showcasing these kids doing what they do. And it was, uh, yeah. And I'm sure that's why someone like Harry Belfonte got involved, you know, just as a Absolutely. way of saying like, hey, here, there's this world that is not being seen, right. you know, in, in, in a public eye and, and it needs to be. And these kids are talented. It, it almost seemed like, the, you know, like the indie film to, uh, to break it, <laughs> yes, you know, um, I, I think it had a it, it had a bit of a reputation as a little bit of an also ran just because it came out second, but it had such a great pedigree, like you say, Dan with Belafonte and Stan Lathan, and I think they were trying to make an earlier release date uh, from what I've read, and just didn't they didn't catch it. So you know, it might have had uh, made more of an impact if it had come out first, 
you know, uh, that right. always and happens. And here's the thing, something that I noticed too, that, that ties, it, I mean, it, it's got great importance, in, especially in this episode too, because breakdancing permeates through all three movies. <laughs> there are breakdancing references, obviously, in Beat Street. Uh, yes. But there are breakdancing references you know, in and Ghostbusters as well. That was so. one of my favorite that's moments. Right. Um, that's right. That's well, right. let's. Are, uh, do we have. Is there anything else just, you want to say about yeah, Beat just Street? Just one little. First? Yeah, just one little piece of. I thought was really cool trivia that I just. Because um, I was looking at the cast. Guy Davis, who plays Double K, mm-hmm, the main character, mm-hmm. who's. Yeah. who's Kind of, he. I don't know that he acted much after this. Not and the strongest. He's, he's very he's, familiar, he's a little, though. When he's I saw a little, him, he's a little stiff. He's a little stiff mm-hmm. in this, but he does just fine. He's the son of of Ossie Davis and Ruby D. Get out! I legendary, oh legendary wow. actors from theater and from film. I had no he's idea. Their, he's their son, um, and, I, and I guess he became a guitarist later later in life. And I was I, like, "That's, that's fucking I, cool. Yeah. That is so cool that he was part of this." And of course, Ray John Chong is the daughter of Tommy Chong, Tommy Chong of, of yes. Cheech and Chong. Why? Why was she such a big? All, all I remember. What am I forgetting? I remember from Commando. She was in a. Th- um, what, what was the other thing that yeah, made her she's really in Commando, big? Right. She was in Commando. She was in. She was in so a was Michael Keaton movie. I think uh, The Squeeze. I think she was in that movie in 87. Well, what was the thing that really sort of shot her to stardom? I can't remember. Was it Was it Commando? <laughs> it might have been, it Fred. It might have been. That That might have been her big her big thing. Don't disturb my friend. He's dead tired. We do have to talk about the moment when Ramo, <laughs> spoiler alert, touches the third rail. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> On the subway. Horrendous. But I Horrendous. mean, I, I did chuckle. I I hate to say it, but he he, he and the guy who plays Spit, who is his it's, graffiti rival, are, yeah. are just, they, they do the cartoon version of electrocution, unfortunately, and it doesn't, well, it well, just, it's also, it's all, it's very, it's very funny. It's unfortunately. so, it's such a, a a dramatic event in a film that is <laughs> yeah, that's pretty right. relatively realistic and subdued. In that. and it's late in the movie. It's very late in the movie and so sudden. And then the next shot is like the casket with the flowers. It's almost oh. comical. It's almost like a, a comedic hard cut, like smash cut from two people getting electrocuted on a subway track to like. Dun, 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 it was just a little. Well, I have to say, I've always wondered. Whenever much. I see graffiti, like in the subway tunnels, I've always thought about that. I said, "How do they do? How do they, do they get do electrocuted?" Yeah. Right, right, right. And they right. do, and yeah. apparently and they do. Will. According to, I loved I, when the dad finally saw his graffiti and was looking at it with a tear in his eye. That, oh, I, that I loved. Right. That was yeah, that was that was beautiful. Yeah, that actor was really great too. It was a wonderful mm-hmm. cast. I thought it was a lovely surprise. I remember when we were it talking was, about yeah. doing this episode yes. it was like oh it was, you know it's such a big deal that these two kind of iconic movies came out the same day gremlins and ghostbusters and then it was like oh yeah something else came out that day too so we need to speak about it but i really really enjoyed it for something i had never seen before same. i i'd like i would watch it again i think i would i i, I really really kind of enjoyed it uh, more than i expected so same here bravo beat street um beat street <laughs> Now, uh, now let's move on to uh, our second film. We could really talk about these other two in tandem, but we'll 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 separate them out for a little bit. Uh, the first is Steven Spielberg presents Gremlins. They're clever. They're mischievous. They'll get into the kitchen, the basement, the garage. They'll get into anything, and once they get in. You're in for it. 
Gremlin. They'll be expecting you at a special sneak preview Saturday, May 19th. Directed by Joe Dante. Rated PG. Gremlins. When Billy Peltzer's father gives him an adorable furry little creature called a mogwai as a Christmas gift, the young man has no idea what mayhem awaits him and his picture-perfect Norman Rockwellian small town. The exotic pet, named Gizmo by Billy's inventor father, comes with three very strict rules. He must be kept away from bright light, especially sunlight, which could kill him. He must never get wet, which would cause him to multiply. And he must never, ever be fed after midnight, which, if you think about it, is literally impossible to avoid. So, (laughs) Billy, played by Zach Galligan, his girlfriend Kate, played by Phoebe Cates, and the rest of their Capra-esque town of Kingston Falls are well and truly fucked when one cute little furball spawns an army of slimy, scaly, malevolent gremlins. The movie, which in some ways plays like a mad magazine parody of a mashup between Spielberg's E.T. and Ridley Scott's Alien, was a huge hit with audiences, taking in $12.5 million on its opening weekend and $153 million by the end of its theatrical run. Gremlins still sports an 84% fresh rating on Rotten Tomatoes, but at the time, this PG-rated film was considered so unexpectedly violent that it, along with its producer Steven Spielberg, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom led directly to the creation of the PG-13 rating later that same year. Fred and Dan, what did you guys think and what do you remember thinking as kids about Gremlins? Well, first of all, I have a bit of trivia question. Can you tell me what the first PG-13 movie that came out was? I thought it was Dreamscape. Dreamscape, that is correct. Good for you. Okay. Back <laughs> very to the movie at hand. Good. Very yeah, good. Dreamscape, Dennis Quaid. Um, I loved it. I had the same experience. I re I like I said, I rewatched it recently with the kids, and it was I the I very very similar experiences as uh, as I had when I first saw it. I remember seeing hmm. it when it first came out. I saw it in the movie theaters. Um Did you the, see it that this, weekend? Do you remember if you saw it right away? I, I think I saw it. I saw it. I can't remember if I saw it the opening weekend. I'm pretty sure I saw it fairly soon after mm-hmm. it came out. Um, and I loved it. I remember right from the beginning being like, oh, because there's all these little Spielberg references. Mm-hmm. There's the poster in the beginning of the DJ and he's Raiders of the Lost Yeah, Rock and Ricky Rialto. Um, the yeah. uh, Raiders, uh, um, the And I had the same joy of that. And, like, and, and I, I loved Gizmo as a kid. Uh, I loved it. I had a blast. I remember as a kid just... just being blown away yeah um it was amazing watching it again now i didn't because at the kid as a kid i'd never seen it's a wonderful life i wasn't familiar with capra mm-hmm. I, I couldn't believe i mean even like the, the name of the town yeah know, what was it uh, kingston, kingston falls. falls bedford falls i mean polly holiday's characters obviously mr potter yes um, and, and the wicked witch of the west and the right? wicked witch of the <laughs> and west scrooge um, right like everything yeah, rolled in right one. but, but like yeah. all the little things like and i remember um uh at the time there was uh, the the movie screen, the marquee that said "Boys' Life, Look to the Skies," mm-hmm. and that was a, a nod to ET because I think that ET and Close Encounter. A Boy's Life was the uh, working title of ET, and Watch right. the Skies was Close Encounters. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that so, like, is that- so cool. Yeah. I looked yeah. at that marquee and I went, "That's a thing. I know it's a thing." <laughs> yeah. And there yeah. it is. That's fantastic. It was, yeah, it was a blast. Now, I do remember, I will say this, and I thought the same thing as a kid, and I don't know why, Hmm. and as an adult, uh, when they got to the bar scene, when the gremlins, I remember as a kid thinking, 
I think okay. I think you're jumping the shark here. I think this. It, it was a little like really? I enjoyed it. I thought it was funny, but I was like, wait, what? Really? The gremlins are now dressing in drag and they know how to break dance. And even and I and watching that now and watching it with my kids, I remember my daughter was like, okay, this is stupid now. Oh, <laughs> and, see, that's so funny. I, I you know, it's funny because watching it now. And I've seen it a million times. It is one of my favorite movies. I've revisited it so many times. But I watched it this weekend uh, in preparation. And I thought the same thing. I was like, as a kid, I loved this, the bar scene. But it goes on for a while. And it does. Yeah. yeah it, it goes It goes full tilt into what Joe Dante would later do with the concept in Gremlins 2. Like where everything exactly. is just a madhouse. It's like a... Uh, a, a, a Tex Avery cartoon gone mad, you know, yeah. um, madder. So, so you directed the second one as well. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, but Dan, I'm sorry. Yeah. No. Pull no, you no, in no. here. No, of course. The 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 um, I I haven't seen it a lot of times, and I've I feel like maybe this is only the maybe third time I've ever seen it. Was you need to leave? <laughs> I'll show myself out. Um, <laughs> But I do remember seeing it uh, when it first came out. I like the I like when they say Gizmo Yak. I like when they say Yam. Oh, did they say Gizmo Kaka? Gizmo Kaka. That's good. I like when they say Yam Yam, and then when he sees the water, he says Glab Glab. That's very good. I saw in the credits that's Howie Mandel is doing some of that. He does. He does Gizmo, and I think Michael Winslow, Frank Welker, and Michael Winslow are well. Now Frank Welker still does. Anytime they need an animal on like The Simpsons, they call in Frank Welker. Really? Really? Um, Is he still with us? Gosh, I should know this. I don't know, but but but, um, but yeah, I think he did Stripe and some of the other you know the growlier Gremlin voices. That makes sense. How great was Zach Galligan? Uh, we'll get, we'll get, no. get there. I oh, did. No. He's just a, the He's so charming. Yeah, I loved him. I got lost in his eyes. I'll say that. I got <laughs> lost is, in his eyes many, many times. He's very dreamy. He has big, flashy eyelashes, like Gizmo. He's, yes, and mm-hmm. uh, but he's he's. I I can't you can't blame Galligan. There's not much of a character. The character's <laughs> you can't pretty blame Galligan. The character's pretty vapid. I mean he's he's real real dumb. He's like a himbo. He's more of a himbo than than uh what's his name in in the new Ghostbusters? What, uh, oh, uh, Chris Hemsworth. Oh, yeah. Hemsworth. He's really like boy, he just there's nobody home. I I thought the thing know? that was interesting about him and it's just an interesting thing about the movie like how it creates its own world so it can play by these crazy rules. Like if, right. if, the, if the world right. was as realistic as the world of Beat Street, I think it would be ridiculous. These puppets would just be totally oh, ridiculous. But be because because it's such an, it's kind of an arch, you know, like storybook kind of world that you're in. It makes, I think I even heard somebody say this in one of the interviews, maybe Joe Dante said it, that there's something about the stylized nature of the the norman rockwell thing of like that little mm-hmm. small town that makes you buy the gremlins a little differently but my 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 point was there's something about this world where that character seems like alternately like 10 years old and 20 years old right he like works at a <laughs> bank and right. is going on dates but he also is like hey gee dad you know like i'm getting a pet for christmas and what what's in this wrapping paper you're kidding Dad, it's, it's really neat. 
did you get this? Oh, some little junk store in Chinatown. Can I pick them up, Dad? Sure, go ahead. Just be careful. You gotta be gentle. I will. I hope he's housebroken. And she looks very youthful and sort of baby-faced. Phoebe Cates. Uh, Phoebe Cates, oh, anyway. Phoebe Cates. So, you know what I mean? Beautiful. So My you're, huge you're right. crush as a... And my seventh grade oh, crush, I was God. obsessed oh, with Phoebe oh, Chase. Between Gremlins and Fast Times at Richmond High. I, I had, I had just... not seen Fast Times. I was I was in love with her purely based on oh, Gremlins, <laughs> based on her geez. carrying Gizmo around Gremlins. in a knapsack. And I it was, didn't you know even what? know. And it, it wasn't even her beauty. It was her incredible work ethic. Because even when her bar gets taken over by gremlins, she still knows she has to serve drinks she still, and light their cigarettes. I'm watching it. I'm like, what the get out of there? She's an essential. She's, still she's an essential worker in Kingston oh. Falls. Oh, she's doing sake. what needs to be done. My um, crush was Polly Holiday at that time, and so I was glad. I was glad to see her. You I, wanted to kiss her. I grits. kept waiting for her to say "kiss my grits," which she I was, was wonderful in it. She really, I think she she's was really hysterical good. in it. So yeah. great. This is what's left of my imported barbarian snowman. Your dog broke it this morning. Oh, I'm terribly sorry. Just tell me how much I owe you. I'll be more than happy. To I don't you. want money. I want your dog, Barney. Give him to me. I'll take him to the kennel. They'll put him to sleep. It'll be quick and painless compared to what I could do to him. What could you do? I'll catch the beast myself. Then you'll get what he deserves. A slow, painful death. Maybe I'll put him in my spin dryer on high heat. That'd do it, all right. And and this, I as a kid, it didn't really land with me. But the character is so tragic. And then you see, like she's this mean old woman. She's nasty to everyone. She, went, yeah, I'll get your little dog too. And then when we see her at home, you know, she's just kind of this hunched over woman. She doesn't have any of her wigs on. Her wispy gray hair. She's a kind of a cat lady. She's, she's surrounded screech, by all yeah. these. She's like, like yeah, and she's just, and she's talking so sweetly to the cats. It's the only living things that we see her. Be kind to or these. Oh, I love. I didn't catch this when I, whenever I had seen it last, which was many years. All her cats are different monetary. One is drachma. One is ruble. One is one is uh, dollar bill. Dollar bill. Dollar bill. That's very funny. Come on, old dollar bill. Yes, here we go, old dollar bill. Mama, fix you something good to eat here. Everybody here. All right, let's go. Mama's coat. Christmas carolers. I hate Christmas carolers. The one thing I wanted to say about seeing this movie when it came out was that um, we had to leave because one of the kids got very, very scared. Mm. Um, oh. One of one of uh, one of the kids that we didn't nor we didn't like. He it was. I do remember it was a kid, it was a neighborhood kid who wouldn't normally have been hanging out with us for for whatever reason it ju- he just wasn't part of our regular group of friends but we all went it was probably you know what it probably was was someone's birthday party mm-hmm. that's probably what it was so ah. we couldn't stay because we had all been dropped off there together by by someone's mom or something like that he would he ran out to the lobby because he was terrified once they started to transform and come out of the th- and come out of those alien like eggs which is so horrifying it's at first freaky. until he was very freaky so we were 10 going on 11 so this kid was like nope i'm out he started screaming and crying and he left the movie theater 
and we all had to leave. So so then I wound up seeing it again later mm. um, with I forget if it was with my parents or with other friends. Um, you're right about this, the the whole sort of stylized arch sort of nature of this because I just watched the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers recently, which is there's also a lot of nods yeah. to that in this. Yeah. That. They're watching and, it at some point, and everybody in that is sort of like. Sweet little small town doctor, sweet little small town butcher. This person, this person, and it's and it's they do that again in this. So that's interesting that you say that. I didn't I didn't uh, realize that. Yeah. That's cool. That's very no. cool. You know what tickled me, and I forgot about I forgot about all the Peltzer inventions. Oh yeah. Like as a kid, I just lo- like I loved Hoyt Axton. Uh, although at the end, it, it seemed he just sort of like wandered into the mall, and there was like, oh yeah, I see this all the time, <laughs> dead gremlins. Um, but I, I in the beginning, I just I forgot how much I enjoyed that character and all his like you know the smokeless ashtray and that, that orange juice machine oh my that, like, god sprays well, that, the it tickled the me I'm like, i remember loving that as a kid speaking of which the, the kitchen scene oh my god that was my favorite that's, that's my favorite mom. scene okay when well that's i was just gonna ask what's your favorite is, sequence in the movie and i think for a oh lot of people god, it's the uh, francis lee mccain is amazing as uh, as the mom as mrs she's Peltzer. she's terrific. fantastic She's terrific, and it's because everybody in this movie—you just mentioned it with Hoyt Axton, but the mom certainly Zach Galligan. The first time he sees the Gremlins, certainly little Corey Feldman when he's like, "Oh, what are those?" Corey it's Feldman's like, fantastic. Watching he's very so good. good. He's so but great. he was he was amazing back then. But they're oh, all just so taking good. it for granted, like this is a normal everyday thing, and that's mm-hmm. another part of the stylized sort of thing. I think that Joe Dante is doing. It's like. Oh, you know what, people? You're going to be in a in a world that's different from your world now, where this kind of thing just is stuff that happens, and uh, uh, it's not all that weird for the for these people. Like the mom is like, okay, I got to fight gremlins now, and they're going to fucking die. <laughs> yeah, and she puts one in the microwave. That is disgusting, by the oh, way. It's when the inside the microwave. It's it is, so I, good. I, Forgot how gross you can, that scene You can feel is. it. You can taste Whoa. it. I did not do well with scary stuff or horror stuff. I was not into not it. But I loved Spielberg. I loved movies in general. I thought, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I was, it was one of those things where I was so, eager to see this and so nervous based on the commercials i was like i think it's going to be something really special i think it's going to be more fun <laughs> than freaked I, I i just i was hoping it wasn't going to be as scary or gross as i feared it would be and it was certainly gross but it was just the right kind of gross for like a 12 year old right and it was <laughs> and 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 everything leading up to that kitchen scene is so scary and ominous when you get me with the stuff with the teacher getting kind of killed in the in the science classroom and that's he, he tells kid. no one by the way zach that's what i mean about him being sort of vapid that's, that's what the teacher dies. he tells a grand total of zero people that glenn term <laughs> that, that the teacher dies my wife Wife no one that. knows. We were watching it the other night. She was like, oh, "What about you? What about your dead science teacher?" I was like, "Well, he's his mom's at home. He's going to help his mom." But you had the same thought, Kate did. But he no, but he goes when, to the cops and doesn't tell them. Oh, by the way, you should probably head over to the school. You don't know. They Speaking cu- of they the cut cops, back and forth between. Did this. you did you notice who who the younger cop was? Jonathan, Jonathan Banks. Banks. Jonathan Banks. Fantastic. Mike Erman Trout from Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. That guy. Oh my God, what a workhorse that guy. I had but, the um, great pleasure of working with him a long time ago, and he was oh, yeah. very, very, very 
very nice man. What a nice, lovely man. He's fantastic in this because he's so clearly drunk on the eggnog there in the office. It's Christmas Eve. (laughs) They don't expect to be doing any work. And he's just so kind of sauced. And then as soon as they see shit going down out in the street you know in the streets yeah. you see him sober up real quick and get very very uh, you know he's very nervous and very you know, uncomfortable I didn't re- he had he had a very good year because you mentioned beverly hill yeah. cops came out in 84 too that's Man, right oh he's he great a, in that yeah yeah he he's had a great good year that. that that guy's incredible um, and uh 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 murray futterman uh, oh, Dick, Dick Miller. Miller. <laughs> that <laughs> guy was ubiquitous. I mean, yeah, he's he was everywhere. In all Joe Dante of those, like, used him in all his movies too. Is that right? Oh, yeah, that's really yeah. cool. Yeah, he loved Dick Miller. He loved him, and he's a wonderful, wonderful actor. Um, really good actor. Gremlins. You got, you got to watch out for the foreigners because they plant gremlins in their machinery. That's the same gremlins brought down our planes in the big one. Big. That's right. World War Two. WWII. You know, they're still shipping them over here. They put them in the cars, they put them in the TV, they put them in the stereos and the radios. You stick in your ears, they put them in your watches. They got little teeny gremlins for our watches. I don't think it's such a good idea that you drive. Why don't you walk home? You know, Katie, I think maybe I'll walk home. Good. That's a nice night. Now, let me ask you something, Dan, since you're the film scholar of us, because I noticed something, and uh, this is another thing that, as a kid, as I was watching it again, I immediately got sucked back to when I was watching it as a kid, and it was, and I, and it might even shift, the way he films things, maybe they shift a little bit into this once the gremlins start to turn, but Dante uses this thing, and I I think it's called a Dutch angle, is that the term, where everything's sort of slanted a bit? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I loved it. And yeah. it was, and I remember as a kid, I, I couldn't recognize what it was at the time, but I remember it was a style. And I remember he used the same style when he did it in his Twilight Zone episode mm-hmm. for the Twilight Zone, the movie. Ah. Um, and watching it again just brought me back to that feeling of uneasiness as a kid, where I'm like, I know this is like a fun, cool. Kids well, sci-fi yeah. sort of fantasy movie, but something's a little oh shit, things are really off. Yeah, Dutch way. angle or canted angle, it's sometimes called. Can- yeah. okay, the Dutch gotcha. angle kind of it got like a bad name as like something cheesy because they used it a lot in the old Batman series in '66. It was like all Dutch angles whenever the villains mm-hmm. were on screen. It would so it was like a shorthand right. for this guy's crooked, you know. And yeah. that was the thing. But yeah, I think uh, this was much uh, more uh, subtle the way they did. It was it. really good. At, like yeah, it had this very very fluid like tilt into the dutch angle i used to use the dutch oven when i would make my <laughs> movies that did that didn't they kill a gremlin did. in there didn't they kill a gremlin <laughs> in your dutch if oven that's what you want to call it um <laughs> the uh the the movie was re- so so fun can i ask a question i know yeah. they parody yes. this in the second movie because i feel like i've seen the mm-hmm. second movie more recently um Maybe maybe like five or six years ago, maybe probably from you saying, "Oh no, see the second one, uh, Jason," because you're a fan of it. But um, yeah. what you tell me, your guys' take on why give Phoebe Cates that horrible, awful story about her father dying in the chimney as Santa Claus? What is that? Why is that there? Why is it in the movie? It was snowing outside. The house was freezing, so I went to try to light up the fire. And that's when I noticed the smell. People always say that that's kind of a, a, kind of gives it its dark comedy credentials in a way. But I 
I've never found it funny, no. but I was watching oh, I don't the movie. Think it's to I be watched funny. it once, and I, it is. Joe Dante and Phoebe Cates find it quite funny, really? and we're glad, and we're really fighting to keep it in the movie. Yeah, because they thought it was there was something about it. That so they that they could spoof it in the comic. next movie, because like the next movie they no. spoof it in a, in essence. Yes, they do. They they say they have a whole story about how she has a a, a bad memory of Lincoln's birthday because <laughs> basically a, a flasher came up to her on the playground in a, a stovepipe hat. <laughs> See now, if you're gonna do that, do that in this movie. Then have a second example and a third one because of threes. You know what I mean? It's but to very- just have that as a standalone thing, she has tears in her eyes, and Zach Galligan's character is shocked when he hears it and is like, "Oh my god!" And Gizmo's and- fucking crying. It's not funny <laughs> at all. You know, and I think they, I, yeah, but they really did. They, they, they felt very strongly about keeping it in. And Warner Brothers kept saying every time they do a screening, they'd be like, "It's great, we love this movie. You got to cut that. You got to cut I that." I would have a weird fought, time they, too. They fought and fought and fought to <sighs> keep it in, and they, they thought it was kind of. I guess it's just a sense of humor thing. You know what I, I also found on YouTube, and maybe I'll, I'll link to this here, but. Um, the Broadway actress Krista Rodriguez, she, she does. Uh, there's a, when you look up that monologue on YouTube, there is uh, a video of this actress doing a live performance in some sort of Christmas review show. Like somebody plays the Gremlins theme on the piano behind her, and then she does the whole monologue totally earnestly, and the audience is going nuts laughing at it. The house was freezing, so I went to try and light a fire. That's when I noticed the smell. (laughs) The firemen came and broke through the chimney top, and me and Mom were expecting them to pull out a dead cat or a bird. And instead, they pulled out my father. He was dressed in a Santa suit. He'd been climbing down the chimney, his arms loaded with presents. He was going to surprise us. He slipped and broke his neck. He died instantly. (laughs) And that's how I found out there was no Santa Claus. Now I need to admit something to you, Jason. So uh, Jason yes. was, was married recently, and I helped plan his bachelor party, Dan and I. And uh, we had, <laughs> we, when we were talking about what we were going to do, we wanted to get some burlesque dancers. And so we, we did end up getting, we had a wonderful uh, dancer by the name of Puss in Boots who came and did Catwoman because uh, Jason's such a big Batman fan. And we were, She's so fantastic. Dan and myself and some of our other friends and your sister were talking about who we can get. And your sister actually recommended <laughs> that we should have I don't know if she recommended Dan to do it as first but she said that we should get someone to dress up a burlesque dancer to dress up like Phoebe Cates and do the entire monologue that monologue while undressing and my my sister yes, recommended my sister's that was a genius. First and my that, suggestion was we should have Dan dress up like Phoebe Cates with the no. sweater yes. and do the monologue or take his, start to do a strip tease as the monologue was playing in the background. And it just oh, no. it never came to fruition. But that was the original I plan love for your bachelor you know, party. My poor sister, she all these movies that I loved, uh, you know, when I like they were, she always was kind of she was two years younger than me, and she kind of came along for the ride with all of these things. I think she really does love gremlins, but you know, I was scared at that age seeing it. She was two years younger and she was really, I don't think she was looking forward to it. But then I think she's really grown to, to love Gremlins, but she knows how much I love that movie. I've gotten her so much gizmo this, gizmo that. She doesn't give a shit. Why, why would she care? <laughs> but uh, 
and but still now to this day she every christmas i get something that's gremlins did you have the toys when you were growing up when the movie first came out Mm -hmm. i remember i had action figures uh, yeah, I had, I had, uh, I, I got this lar- uh, stripe, the evil, the main yeah. head gremlin. Well. Uh, they had like a kind of a, a large action figure mm-hmm. of him that came out that Christmas, and I remember getting oh, I that. Wish I still and, have that. And I still have, I still have the the plush gizmo, the stuffed gizmo that I got not back then, but more recently because we had a Halloween party when Dan and I oh, lived so together. Good. Had, uh, I have so good. A great, the, our, a great eighties. Yeah. It was the, an eighties themed Halloween yeah. costume party. So and good. I did, uh, I dressed as Zach Gallagher yeah. with, you know, with, with the ripped shirt. I got shirt. a sweater. We were, I tore the yeah. sweater the same way. And I got, I got kind of a, <laughs> a bit of a, a curly black <laughs> uh, wig to try to approximate his hairstyle. And I had the gizmo doll and I put it in a backpack. I'm going to find it. I have a picture night. of that when we, when we post this, when this episode goes we gotta live. We're going to post it. We're going to post it. It's an yes. amazing, amazing picture. Um, so good. So yeah. good. Attention to detail was incredible. This movie just, it, it just hit everything for me because it really was, for me, that was right at that age, 12 years old, I was really into all of a sudden Saturday Night Live and Mad Magazine was huge for me. So the idea of like a movie, like a big box office kind of Steven Spielberg movie having such a tendency toward self-parody and and these easter eggs and film references and winks and nods and nudges i loved it it felt like this it was this fun house where i felt like you know i felt like cool to be a member of the club that like kind of got what the movie was doing i mean Um, to that effect never noticed this in the movie before there's a great easter egg for old time um sci-fi fans when he's at the convention and he's calling mm-hmm. back there's two great ones robbie <laughs> yes. the robot from uh from lost mm-hmm. in space. Or, yeah. or is that lost the robot from that's the robot from forbidden planet forbidden, it's planet. forbidden planet robot and walks Spielberg by too goes uh goes in front does of he really oh Spielberg's i didn't see on, like, i didn't a little, catch like, that motorbike that goes in front yeah and Jerry Goldsmith is also there, the composer oh. who wrote the amazing Gremlins has some of the most amazing music. And just as a sidebar, you mentioned Twilight Zone, the movie, Joe Dante's episode yeah. of Twilight Zone, the movie. If you watch that movie and watch the the final sequence, the John Lithgow the sequence uh, on the yeah. plane um, with the creature on the wing of the plane, the music in that sequence, it's almost there are sections of it that are note for note, like his grand oh, yeah. It was like a year uh-huh. before. And it's like, it was like he was, he can't, he hit upon something in Twilight Zone, but then he really took to the max wow. in Gremlins. Um, so you see um, that Forbidden Planet robot go by. I missed Spielberg. I totally missed that. But in the background, there is the time machine. From the movie The Time Machine, the old H.G. Oh, Wells Time Machine. It's there. They cut away. They cut back, and it's gone. And people <laughs> yeah. are like in the background are going, where did it go? Where is it? Because <laughs> it has incredible. gone back in time to the Morlocks or whatever. Wherever. Oh, my so God. So cool. Amazing. It's so cool. I, I, it was really, really, really fun. I uh, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed that that watch. It's great stuff. Great All stuff. right. Let's head to the mailbag. Um, let's go over to the mailbag. Yes. Um, Time for the mailbag. Uh, Sheila from uh, <laughs> East Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania. <laughs> she keeps moving. I don't know why she keeps moving every week. I don't know. She's just, she's, yeah, she wants to keep you I guessing. Guess that's Dan. what it is. With- that's, that's, that's what stalkers <laughs> do. She's keeping all of us guessing. She says, hey, great show, episode two. 
you're absolutely right, Dan, about Super Mario Brothers. Jason doesn't know what he's talking about. Oh, God. You're Why? right on the money with Why? your assessment of that one. I rated you guys five stars on iTunes. <gasps> what? Sheila, thank you so Sheila. much. Coming from the cool guy uh, of the group, thank you, Sheila. Apparently, <laughs> the cool, the guy who's always yeah, you're dreamy. I'm the only one who could talk to Sheila. You know, when I'm the heart when I'm not making super Fred eight Berman. movies. That's right. Sincerely, Sheila. No, and you know, honestly, if you're gonna go to iTunes and rate us, I don't want anything less than five stars. I don't want to see anything on there. We don't need anything less than that, people. If you're gonna if you're gonna bother yeah. to go there, put foot five goddamn stars. Who you gonna call? Ghostbusters! If something weird and it don't look good, who you gonna call? Ghostbusters! It is time for Ghostbusters! Yay! Yay. Three oddball parapsychologists, Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, and Harold Ramis, get fired from their cushy jobs at Columbia University just as paranormal activity appears to be on the rise in New York City. The three decide to go into business for themselves, capturing and containing spirits and specters as the Ghostbusters. They garner national press, drawing the attention of the EPA, which shuts them down and throws the Ghostbusters in jail, just as their former client, Dana Barrett, played by Sigourney Weaver, and her nerdy neighbor, played by Rick Moranis, find themselves possessed by ancient demon worshippers hell-bent on bringing interdimensional death and destruction to the human race. Dan Aykroyd originally wrote the piece as a dark and somber vehicle for himself and his best friend John Belushi, but director Ivan Reitman and co-writer Harold Ramis lighten things up considerably, along with the film's MVP, in my opinion, Bill Murray, who only agreed to make Ghostbusters after Columbia pictures committed to producing his passion project, The Razor's Edge. Until Beverly Hills Cop came along in December, Ghostbusters was the year's biggest hit, making $13.6 million over its opening weekend, just a little ahead of Gremlins, and a whopping $282 million worldwide. Fred and Dan, what did you think of this modest little indie <laughs> called The Ghostbusters? Uh, I didn't know anything of that about Bill Murray and uh, Razor's Edge. I didn't. Know, oh, yeah. I didn't know any of that. Um, that's really, uh, that's really interesting. And and I I feel like I had heard the thing about Belushi. When did Belushi die? He died in I believe eighty two. So he died before this. You know, it was a script that Aykroyd had written for the two of them, and then Belushi passed away, and he kind of put it in the drawer for about a year, and, and then, then revamped it then for Bill Murray, or was or well. Yes, once they, yeah, I, I, yes, I think he did. I think they, he and Harold Ramis were working on the script with Ivan Reitman, and uh, I think Bill Murray was attached at that point, so they were writing towards him, but, you know, Bill Murray, so much of, I was going to say, at some point I'm going to be like, what's your favorite quote from Ghostbusters? And literally, I have like dozens of things, and they're all Bill Murray lines, and so many of them are just Bill Murray, you know, riffing. Okay, all right. Text. I feel like this and Caddyshack are probably yes. <laughs> two two of the most quotable yeah. films, and you know from that same and group. Both of, from uh, yeah, all, a lot of the same people worked on both. Uh, of so much. Of Did this. they ever think about Chevy um, Chase for Ghostbusters, or was he never in the mix? You know, I don't think he was. Huh. They thought about Eddie Murphy. I remember that. Point. Yeah, 
but I don't think Chevy Chase was really considered for one of them. But I, I might be wrong about that because I'm sure, you know, there might have been there might have been a moment when uh, when he was he was considering it. I, I just read about another movie that uh, oh, they were, I remember they were trying to get Chevy Chase to do uh, Animal House, and he chose to do Foul Play instead. Mm-hmm. So this one that was uh, yeah okay. I, yeah, and there was. I mean, certainly there was bad blood for a while between Chevy Chase and Bill Murray, right. but, you know, but I think Dan Aykroyd, I don't think there was... They got uh, along. I don't... I, I don't know, mm. actually, because I, I remember to they Aykroyd all had an issue. He said he, he, said he never really had a, a major problem. He didn't have the beef now, with yeah. him that, yeah. But they did, but there was a sense... Uh, Belushi did have a problem mm. with Chevy Chase, and it was all because uh. yeah, after the first season of Saturday Night Live, Chevy Chase was like, "I'm going off to become a movie star," and you know, and and he kind of left everybody else behind, and and Bill Murray replaced uh-huh. him, and there's these great stories about a fist fight between Chevy Chase and Bill Murray right yeah. before Chevy came back to host the second season of the show, and so yeah, there were bad, there was bad blood between some of those people, but um, and yeah, all the stories about. Chevy and Bill Murray on Caddyshack because they had to work together on that and shoot a couple of scenes and and they were not they were not on good terms then but they were apparently really like, clearly professional enough you know those classic yeah. scenes great oh, moments yeah. so yeah yeah is this your place Carl yeah what do you think it's really it's really awful but I have a lot of things that are on order you know credit trouble. Uh, I'm an assistant greenskeeper. They say that doesn't mean anything, you know, until I'm the head greenskeeper. Uh, can you give me a ruling on this? Oh, okay. sit down. Come on. Make no, I don't, I don't want to stick to anything in here. Uh, what is your favorite quote from Ghostbusters? Do you have, I mean, I'm going to get into this right now. I uh, see. I loved uh, the Murray, <gasps> I, the Harold Ramis stuff. I absolutely <laughs> loved. Like, <gasps> print is dead. Print <laughs> is dead. dead. The spores, that, so spores molds, and fungus. <laughs> I, I I loved it. Uh, now, as a kid, wow. when I saw Bill Murray was my favorite, upon rewatching it, it was all Harold Ramis. I was like, my God, what what oh. a genius he was. He was so freaking funny. Um, he was fantastic. The one as, as a kid, my favorite line, absolutely, with without a doubt, which I think all and I, I you know I can t- I remember exactly when I saw it. I remember exactly who I saw it with. Uh, I remember everything about it. Um, but the moment uh, where he said, you know, uh, Ackroyd was like, you know, everything was fine until the power was turned off by Dickless here. <laughs> and then the mayor goes, this is true. And Bill Murray said, yes, it's true. This man has no dick. Well, that's what I heard. My favorite is. Wait, 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 wait. I've always wanted to do this. And the flowers are still standing. The flowers are still standing. That is still my favorite line from Ghostbusters. Oh, no, you know what my favorite was? It was, uh, listen, do you smell something? (laughs) (laughs) My my favorite is, where do these stairs go? They go up. (laughs) That's always been my favorite. I love that. See you guys. You guys. They, well, these are all pretty deep cut that, lines. That, these are good. That movie these are not really, the, uh, um, upon rewatching it, it it like I said, it took me back, and I, I that movie was so important. I didn't realize how important that movie was to me. I remember I saw it uh, in in Roslyn. I saw it with my friends um, Tom Toomey and Cameron Dadgar. We went, and uh, our parents dropped us off, and they picked us up afterwards, and it was we. It, it, it was almost like life altering. Like we just felt so cool 
watching this movie. Uh, it was like it was made for us, um, but it still felt it was it was edgy, you know. Where like, oh, this is there was something I didn't know what a reverence was back then, and and what I realized it's pretty think, sexual. Well, it's very oh my god, there's the ghost oh, blowjob scene. Yep, I'm like what yeah. the hell. And the oh, whole Sigourney Weaver scene yeah, when she's possessed. Oh my god! It's she's amazing. She's, she's really good, good in this in movie. It. She's so really good. good. She's really good. She's really funny. She's really sexy. She's really. I mean, she's. You can tell she's a. You can tell she's a great theater actress mm-hmm. too because she, sure. she when the way she uh, yeah. inhabits the role of uh, of yeah. Zool when she you know when she's when she's possessed it's such a huge switch from from the dana character it's really fantastic mm-hmm. and and i noticed all these great things she does not just how <laughs> how incredibly sexy she is in the movie which i i've gained an appreciation for over the years my wife always says yeah she's your type yeah. she's your type i was like i was like i never i n- never had a thing for her when i was younger but uh, but now i'm like oh my god sigourney yeah. weaver what i'd really like to do is talk to dana i want to talk to dana dana it's Peter. There is no Dana. There is only Zool. Oh, Zooli, you nut now. Come on. Come on, I want to talk to Dana. Dana. Just relax. Come on. Dana. Dana. Can I talk to Dana? There is no Dana. Only Zool. What a lovely singing voice you must have. She's wonderful. Rick Moranis, I forgot. Steals I just- the movie. Steals the movie, and as a kid, though his lines are the ones that me and my friends quoted all the time. And he was, he to me, he was like, you know, when you saw Joe Pesci in Lethal Weapon 2, and you're like, oh my god, there was there was <laughs> something so obnoxious and lovable about him, and just just loved him. He, oh my god, he, that he apparently he has enough of a working knowledge. <laughs> of accounting <laughs> that he improvised all that stuff uh, about he wrote his own lines about amazing. about accounting and taxes and income tax and corporate versus whatever whatever he did and he says like that people will write accountants he's got he gets fan mail all the time from accountants who are like hey um thanks for really getting it right <laughs> that's <laughs> amazing once moranis's character uh uh gets um possessed he's still the same he still kind of has the same cadence the same point of view like he's still the dorky version of a of a devil possessed guy yeah like he when he goes off on the whole uh, oh yeah uh he describes there's this long description that he does where he says like during the during the uh you know during the rectification of the something uh the the giant floor <laughs> would came uh, the, many were many were were Baked in the, I can't do it. But you know, it's it's I that know, I'm whole. I'm gonna have to try to find. Yeah, the you clip. gotta find that. Yes, clip. I but know. It's, it's baked in the belly of the store yeah. that day. I can tell you, <laughs> it's just like his. It's that just, was a line we always used to say all the time. I can tell you, Vince. You said before you were waiting for a sign. What sign are you waiting for? Gozer the Traveler. He will come in one of the pre-chosen forms. During the rectification of the Valdrani, the Traveler came as a large and moving torb. Then. During the third reconciliation of the last of the McKetrick supplicants, they chose a new forum for him, that of a giant slore. Many shubs and zools knew what it was to be roasted in the depths of the slore that day, I can tell you. When a movie decides to set up, set somebody up as the villain and you're invested in the heroes, you go with it. Now, I, I don't, you know, not to get into politics or anything, but isn't it weird that the villain is the Environmental Protection Agency? In <laughs> yeah, I just never thought that. about that. The that the bad guy is like, you know, and I mean, you know, 
nowadays, you know, things come up about deregulation all the time, and you're like, oh God, you know, what's the, you, you know, there's there's real concerns about how the environment's <laughs> not being protected, and that guy's whole point is like, you're just capturing shit and putting it into this like weird facility and we don't know what's going on here and there might be chemicals involved and we have to find out what's happening and he's just like yeah you you know get your warrant and come yeah, back and, and we're like yeah and, you know everyone yeah. smokes in that movie by the way it's true you know, yeah it? i know oh my God. but yeah Let's stick it to the epa organizations that's so funny i think it's so odd and then and we just roll with it and i don't know if it was um I don't know if it's just the structure of the movie or because it was the something about the 80s or that moment, but I always kind of forget who he represents. It's just like he's big bad government agency, but it's like no, I didn't, yeah, really. I didn't realize it as a kid. I didn't, I didn't know what the EPA was, and I didn't. I just thought I was like that guy's the dick. You know, he's gonna come in, and but watching it again, yeah, you're right. I was like, yeah. oh, the EPA, but it's. I, but I think when you're primed to see somebody as the he, as the hero and the villain, you know, it's it's one of those things where you can almost whatever distinction you assign to them in terms of their their role or their place in society or whatever i i think we tend to we grab audiences gravitate to i know this is the good guy this is who i'm supposed to empathize with and this is who i'm not supposed to empathize with but i because i know i remember this came up recently i i, I was uh, talking to somebody about the the dark knight movies the the christopher nolan dark knight movies and they're like you know there's a real argument to be made that you know batman is much more of a conservative george bush kind of figure in those movies with all the everything about the the surveillance the widespread surveillance to put a cap on terrorism and stuff and you've turned every cell phone in gotham into a microphone i've got to find this man lucius at what cost and even all the stuff about in Dark Knight Rises about uh, Bane kind of, uh, you know, uh, r- raising the people up against the 1%, like something that, you know, a, a-, a sentiment that you, uh, under certain circumstances, uh, might agree with, then can be framed in a movie as something that you're like, oh, they're, they're an angry mob, you know, and let's, <laughs> let's, only the billionaire can save us <laughs> in his bat plane. We take Gotham from the corrupt, <laughs> the rich, the oppressors of generations who have kept you down with myths of opportunity, and we give it back to you, the people. It's very interesting. So well, anyway, we are in the eighties. Kind of we are in the Reagan eighties in this. In this, mm-hmm. uh, and for what it's worth, Reagan was beloved. You know what I mean? He was be- he was beloved, yeah. and and there was a a certain um, you know uh, sentimentality f- for him and for that that remains to this day. I like the fact that you know I I love everything in the movie where you see sort of a uh, they got they they got the idea of new york just right enough that it's not oh, that it's so not good. insulting in a parody sort of way in a parodical way mm-hmm. like the con ed guy is right the mayor is right you know what i mean that, that they they get the yeah. and yeah. i by, by right i mean tonally right you know the little mm-hmm. the little back and forth between Joe franklin is right yes the, the little back and forth between the mayor and the bishop <laughs> or the car the, the, the cardinal yeah, the, 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 the that's cardinal. great that's yeah. very new yorky you know what i mean all the new york it's people so new all york. the new york people who are who are cheering and and uh you know Speaking and, and of- then at the end he goes i love this town ernie hudson 
that, they that get cardinal that right. thing, the cardinal and the mayor, like, they get it so right. Because I can remember as a kid, and even more recently, every Christmas Eve, it's a very New York thing. My, my grandmother likes to watch the, um, the Christmas Eve mass at midnight sure. at St. Patrick's Cathedral. And the cardinal does the, the homily and everything in the gospel. And always, the mayor of New York is always there. It doesn't matter what his religion or background, you know, it was Ed Koch or whoever it was. You know, the, the mayor is always there in the front row. And there's always a little bit of like... You know, ha, 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 slapping the back and like slapping yes. the face and like good, to, good to see you, Eddie, from the car. It's like fascinating, like the kind of chumminess of the political leader and the religious leader, and it's a very New York feeling thing. And so when that scene happened in Ghostbusters, I was like, oh yeah, this is totally New York. Yeah. This is this is Manhattan through and That's through. Right. And I love Fred, that. Christmas is a holiday that happens towards the end of the year That's a myth. where <laughs> Christians <laughs> celebrate their uh, de- deity. You're busy with something yes, else at that right. time as far, as, right. as, far as I can tell. Um, I'm gonna blow your I'm gonna blow your minds, guys. Right now, you're go. talking about the uh, the New York City, the crowds, and all the people in the background. Something I noticed uh, upon rewatching it, and I literally had to stop and go, wait, wait, hold on, hold on, go back. And then I looked it up <laughs> and I found that I was right. Ron Jeremy is in <laughs> Ghostbusters. He is what? an extra. Is he in the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man? <laughs> <laughs> because there's a lot of white fluid that comes down at the end. Oh. What did I say that was inaccurate? In, <laughs> in, I believe it is the scene when when the dick from the EPA goes and and they they you know they open up and uh, they they let all the spirits go and everything's blowing up and there's a crowd of people behind police barricades and there's a man and I what who wait a minute that that's the hedgehog. And, um, oh, no. and I went back and looked, and I'm like, that's got to be him. I'm like, well, it is the 80s. I mean, it could be lots of guys with mustaches and curly hair. But I looked it up. It's Ron Jeremy. What scene Ron- are you talking wow. about? When William Atherton goes, and he's like, you know, if, if, uh, you go in there. If, 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 if he talks back, you shoot him. When they when they want to release, uh, when they want to uh, turn off the power. Turn off the That's the Con Ed guy. Right, yeah. That's not Ron but Jeremy. Then- no, <laughs> no, that's Jerry Buffett. You're saying actually. outside? Uh, no, no, the uh, outside. There's a crowd of people gathered. Oh, he's in the, the he's in the crowd. He's in the Watch crowd. It. He's Go in the crowd. Scene. He's there. He's an extra in the movie. Oh, for the he's love! He's in the crowd scene. Ron Jeremy. Leave it to you to pick out where Ron Jeremy White <laughs> might be in the movie. Was he in Gremlins also? He was there too. Yeah, <laughs> he was. Uh, yeah. He was in the bar scene. He's, he, he, he was actually, he's the one he's the one human that the gremlins don't notice is different <laughs> like past the penis you other monster he thinks that porn is all some guys in uh, a peep show booth you know going hey come to papa oh that's nice here's a question that is something I thought of watching at this time I've, and I've always kind of felt this Ernie Hudson is uh, he's fantastic as uh, the character of Winston, mm-hmm. right? Winston Zeddemore, yeah. is that his name? But I always thought, I always thought the character felt like a little bit of an afterthought, mm-hmm. and 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 partly I think it is this time watching it, I thought it's because his function in a way is already being served. By Bill Murray, right? Because it it, it wouldn't win, doesn't Winston seem to be like all right? There's these scientists doing this crazy thing, and then the the normal kind of the the, the dop, uh, you know the, the um, everyman the doppelganger for the audience the everyman character comes yeah. in 
and should be the one to be like, oh, gosh, I don't know what's going on here. You know, that that kind of, I, I, you know, this is all new to me. I don't understand how this world works. I don't, I, the, the skeptical aspect of the character, um, all of that stuff, it's kind of already taken by Murray. Because even though Venkman is supposed to be a scientist, he's not good at science. He doesn't understand what they're saying ever. He knows nothing about parapsychology that we can tell. He doesn't believe in ghosts. He is already, and I think that must not have been how the script originally was tailored. I think you're but absolutely it, right. I think Murray, well, it's like you said, I think Murray tailored it to, to you know, what Murray does best. And it's and it works and it's great. But I, I, I thought the same thing, too, at the same time. I, I, I liked him. I liked uh, the, the character, but I, I yeah. wondered why he was here. And I think you're absolutely right. because I think they just serve a similar function. And so then it makes him feel tacked on in a funny way. The way you described him, Jason Mess, he's not good at this, he's not good at that. Yet he's a professor at Columbia. Yet he's he is a, he is a doctor. He's a, so he's a con man, right? Whereas, whereas well, Winston, they, yeah, they whereas Winston is not yeah. a con man. Winston is us in essence, right? So he's sort of replacing. Yeah. There the, sometimes is a character that sort of repl- that become that is serves the function of okay, we got to explain this to the audience. Therefore, we'll explain it to an everyman character who is who essentially yeah. serves the function of us. But I get it. I mean, you, you know, it, it could have easily been explained to the to the Venkman character, but um, I think he's supposed to be more of a. More of the more of the and con usually, artist, you know. He doesn't even know what he's doing. I love that scene where he's poking around uh, Sigourney Weaver's apartment. Oh my god, just, oh, so yeah. good! That had to have been improvised. He doesn't know what he clearly. He's, he's playing on the piano. Yeah, and he they says, yeah, hate they hate this. this. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I mean, but I think you're right, Jason. I think you know they, he they got him to do it, and you know he does. He, Bill Murray does what he does and he does it great and that's what it was I'm yeah. sure oh, I, I have no doubt that it was written completely different and they're like let's just let Bill riff let him go yeah um, it just it just winds up seeming like there's a little bit of a redundancy there but it was just interesting I was just thinking about it um, again although again really like Ernie Hudson that scene between him and Dan Aykroyd is kind of one of the few kind of purely really serious scenes and that kind of speaks to like, hey, why, why is all of this happening, oh, the right? Stuff. When they're driving yes. across the bridge and talking about the Bible stuff. Do you remember something in the Bible about the last days when the dead would rise from the grave? I remember Revelation seven twelve. And I looked as he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became as black as sackcloth, and the moon became as blood. And the seas boiled, and the skies fell. Judgment day. Judgment day. One thing that's really cool about Gremlins and Ghostbusters is the the practical special effects, puppet puppetry, oh you know, puppetry, and mm-hmm. uh, I just love that. And I wish there was more of that in movies. And I think we've seen the end of that, unfortunately, because CGI has, has totally taken over. Like even yeah. even yeah. the Yoda stuff has been re- that was you know th- they better not ever touch. Frank Oz's work in Empire as uh, he's puppeteering Yoda. I hope they never do. They already did it with one of the prequels. I forget which one. But the puppetry and all of that and, and the fact the that the Staples Mar- Puff Marshmallow has texture and has and has depth to it and everything and is sort of Godzilla. That you know, effect, it's so good. It's so good. That effect is that effect is incredible. I was gonna say that like the special effects are really so excellent good. and hold up incredibly well there are still things to this day 
that I'm like, I don't know how right. they did some that. Some of them Stay puffed is one of them. not so much. The devil dogs, there, there was a few scenes where... <laughs> devil dogs are the yeah. only ones that I have in my notes. I was like, those dogs, when they like land on stuff, they look really... The animation yeah. looks poor. But and they're claymation, like, in essence, right? They're sort of a... a um, yes, that's yeah. what it looks like. It looks like yeah. a Ray Harryhausen yeah, yeah. type Ray thing. Harry yeah. Yeah. Yes. But stuff like... I'm going to say, when, when Sigourney Weaver lifts up off the bed and does a complete revolve mm-hmm. and Bill Murray's that, I can't see yeah. how the hell they did that. I can't be, I can't imagine that it's strings, the way her, her, the dress drapes and falls and it really feels like gravity's taking over and you can't even imagine. I know you can use strings and lift somebody up or whatever, but that, the way they turned her and bill murray's on all sides of her it's It's really really, it's a fantastic effect it's excellent the even the scene where the eggs pop out of their shells and fry on the countertop i have no idea how i every time i watch it i'm like i get that that (laughs) countertop is obviously like a a skillet but it's so good because they've got marshmallows on a bag you know it's all these props that they created that look so real or whatever but i still don't understand how they got the egg to burst out of its shell and pop up. And on, so, you know, maybe just with extreme heat, it'll do that. I don't so know. It's so fucking but sad I, that today that would all be CGI. And it pisses me off because the, it's so well done. All, all these things yeah. we're talking about are so well done. And these are craftspeople that are doing these things and really, really making them. And, and uh, you know, the eggs, maybe it was done with like little, little squibs in there. You know little what I charges, mean? Little tiny, you know. tiny charges in there. I know. And I know I could look it up, but I, I keep wanting to, I, I, I think I kind of like the fact that it's one of those few, this movie has several effects where I'm like, I still can watch it and be like, I'm, I don't know how they did that. And I don't want to ruin it. Now, I speaking still don't of want to ruin people, it. can we talk about Ray Parker Jr. for a second? Oh, uh, that video. That, I watched that, that video, video again. Like, oh, but at the time, at the time, oh my God. I watched it every I day, a thousand times. Because first of all, you're like, this is the coolest uh, song in the world from the coolest yeah. movie in the world. Uh, and they're doing this video and all these actors are hopping up and they're all like singing. Melissa Gilbert it's a- and Irene Cara and Peter Falk <laughs> it is the weirdest rogues gallery of people uh, here's, here's just- one second here who are you gonna call uh, amazing <laughs> Peter- yeah it was th- it's so I- weird god damn it did I love that song I had it on oh, 45 I had the t-shirt I had a with it with the- oh I had the soundtrack oh. I had it. that logo is incredible yeah that logo is such is so brilliant and that was in Aykroyd's script apparently like he described the cartoon ghost coming out of the no smoking sign and i remember it was so good too because there's uh, this and the stay puff marshmallow man those two images the ghost logo and that they're so brilliant partly because they trade on the familiar like a familiar iconography Mm -hmm. like without without breaking without uh any kind of copyright or trademark infringement they still they make you think that you already know them like that ghost in the logo is very similar to like casper's uncles or cousins if you ever remember casper the friendly ghost there are those three ghosts around him and they even the top of their heads looks like has that little weird point as if it is the top of a sheet or the corner of a pillowcase or something and they kind of co-opted that for this logo in a way that is like it's not exactly the casper character but it makes you think casper it makes you think like a spoof of we're gonna very you know, cool you thought casper yeah. was so cute and friendly well we're out to hunt uh. casper and his <laughs> whole family and then i also thought the stay puffed Marshmallow Man, that is, to me, that's the peak of the movie. That I mean, obviously, it's the great big sequence yeah. at the end. 
but the design is so perfect. Did you realize that during a, those egg scenes when the eggs are popping, the eggs are right yeah, next to the bag. bag of Stay Puft Marshmallows? Yeah. yeah. Well, that's, that's the, the thing. Setup. That's so great because because when they say Stay Puft Marshmallow Man, to this day, I keep thinking to myself, I had to look it up for this movie. I was like, there was never a thing, Stay Puft Marshmallows, right. right? But even as a kid, I was like, oh, yeah, I guess that's a brand of marshmallow. It felt real. And the reason it felt so real Pillsbury is because Doughboy. they fused Pillsbury, Pillsbury Doughboy and the Michelin yes. Man to create one yes. like, uber character. I think it's just that, so kid, brilliant. And the happened. idea that a monster has that big smiley oh. <laughs> happy face with those big doll eyes. It, it blew me away as a kid. I just remember me and my friends, Tom and Cameron, just how so we couldn't good. believe it. It was such it was so inventive and so just out of the blue and We used to roast stay puffed marshmallows by the fire at Camp Wakanda. Ray has gone bye bye, you gun. What have you got left? Sorry, Bankman. Terrified beyond the capacity for rational thought. I think the best la- the best single laugh in the movie is when the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man opens its mouth and the Godzilla roar from the old oh, yeah, Godzilla yeah, yeah. movies comes out. <laughs> that is a brilliant yeah brilliant joke because he's already doing he's already being Godzilla and for that reason he's a happy Pillsbury guy and that like that sound comes out it, that is a funny funny joke it's so good it's great it is it's so really, good. really great now this has, I don't know if this is neither here nor there and maybe it will just cut it out because it, it doesn't make any sense but my, my biggest it. memory from Ghostbusters is afterwards like I said I saw it with my friends Tom and Cameron and we knew that we were going to get picked up by Tom's dad uh, and we were waiting outside and we were talking about the movie and how amazing it was. Mm-hmm. And there was a guy across the street in a convertible. And he was like, hey, hey, what's up, kids? Hey, hey, hey. And he kept like making these weird faces and oh, be like, hey, no. hey, what's up? What's up? And I remember I we, we were sort of ignoring him. Uh, hey, 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 what's up, kids? What, what, what's going on? And I was just about, I thought, this is it. I'm going to turn around and I'm going to, I'm going to tell this guy to fuck off. I'm going to curse at a grown man in a car because he's creeping me out. And right, I was, I was, it was about to come out of my mouth to be like, fuck. And then my friend Tom's dad popped up from the back seat. He was with his friend and they were playing a little trick on us. Wow. And I thought, oh my God. And I don't know why that, when I think of Ghostbusters, that's immediately what I think of. Because that's something that Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd would do. I think so. To, to, that's for a little bit. It's very much the humor. I would have gotten in any convertible at that age. I just loved convertibles. I've always wanted one. I would have been like, yeah, sounds like fun. You, the wind in your hair. What's not to love? Wait, why are you wearing a trench coat? Oh, we're going to where? Cross state lines. Why? This will all get cut out. You look like the gremlin that flashed Phoebe Cates in the car. Yes. <laughs> and you have the same uh, genitals. Now, listen. Do you know who Ron Jeremy Wait, no. is? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, Lordy. I saw both of these movies so many times that if I watch it now, either Gremlins or Ghostbusters, not Beat Street, I haven't seen it enough, <laughs> but Gremlins or Ghostbusters, I can remember where the real changed in the movie theater. Wow. I can feel where, like, the moment that... Like when when Sigourney Weaver sees like the hellscape inside her refrigerator and she screams and there's that great shot of her face and then she slams the fridge shut. And then the next, the very next shot is 
the Ghostbusters sign up on the firehouse and Bill Murray being like, uh, you think people are going to be able to see it? Is it is it flashy enough or whatever? I can still remember. I saw that movie so many times in the theaters that I know the end of the reel was after Sigourney slams the, the wow. fridge and then it picks up again. That's crazy. And I can do that. I can remember all of the real shifts in Gremlins too. And there's a handful of other movies, like maybe a couple of the Superman movies that I can remember that with or Star Wars. But yeah, Gremlins and Ghostbusters, I just saw them again and again and again. And they really kind of fulfilled very similar, again, like I say, they, it's so odd that two movies that would go on to become so iconic would come out on the same day and and both and both have that similar quality of basically being big budget comedies that also were wrapped in kind of a a horror fantasy Mm. but uh (laughs) the phone lines are lighting up i just wanted to take this one call this one call please hey fred fred this is your friend's dad's friend oh hey i still have the convertible if you want to take a ride. I mean, I know my friend Dan would love to. He loves if guys in convertibles. What does he look? Does he have... What is his hair like these days? Uh, it's sort of like... Do you know Ron Jeremy? Yes. He's got Very a similar well. hairstyle to Ron Jeremy. <laughs> tell him to give, tell uh, him to give me a call. <laughs> will do. Will do. Not goodbye, friend. Oh, I love the podcast, Mr. by the way. friend. <laughs> that, went, that went a little uh, Christian Bale, I, Batman. I, like, tell me, I'm going to take you in a convertible. Uh, he's still... He's we'll still go. on the line. You can't just. We'll go. You can't. I'm sorry. I'm so Why sorry, are you sir. Fun of me? We're sorry, sir. We didn't mean. <laughs> say, say, where's the trigger? Say, you would never give it to an ordinary citizen. I would never get. Why do you want me to say these things? <laughs> just, it's fun. You would never give it's it to an ordinary citizen. <clears throat> you would never give it to an ordinary citizen. I had something in my throat. I'm sorry. Well, goodbye. <laughs> I gave you five stars on iTunes. Bye. Thank you, sir. Oh my God! Thank you so much, sir. Wow, and uh, and and thank you, everyone, for joining us for this, for this uh, twelve-hour episode. Raucous. Oh, I'm going to cut most no. of your stuff. Don't you worry. <laughs> That's what editing's for. Uh, thank you so much for being with us for episode three of Opening Weekend. Next week, I'm sure the uh, the conversation about special effects and uh, uh, old school practical effects will continue. <laughs> um, we are looking at. June 12th, 1981, and three fantastic releases, I think. And, you know, I don't want to tip my hand, but um, Clash of the Titans, the original Clash of the Titans, History of the World Part 1, not necessarily a special effects extravaganza, but one of my favorite Mel Brooks movies, and here's, talk about icing on, on top, Raiders of the Lost Ark. They all opened on the same day in 1981. And Fred looks like... I don't... Just to get people to listen, I have... That weekend is probably one of the most important weekends of my life in terms of movie stories. And do I have a story that wraps all three of those movies into one. So, But (gasps) the only way you're going to hear it is if you tune in. You have to wait. Tune in next week. Uh, and now, so uh, thank you, everybody. Thank you, Fred. Thank you, Dan. And now, Dan, are you going to take us out with a little I'll something? Take us out with, I'll take us out with two little, two little bits of things. A medley as Great. a twirl? Yes. Please, a medley would be but fantastic. But first, find, find us on iTunes and give us five stars. Also, rate us. Spotify. Give us a, also on Spotify. Hear us on Spotify, on, uh, iTunes. We are 
at openingweekendpodcast.com. Is that not right? Is that the name of the website? We can put that, that in is. later. Um, yes. Find oh. us at uh, hashtag backslash at... Uh, I'm just making stuff up now. <laughs> okay. We're on Instagram. We're on the InstaFace. Yeah, you can find us on the yes, InstaFace. We're on there. And uh, we're on multiple... Just Google everything. Here we go. With gremlins, oh my god! And now we'll perfect. Give, now we'll give it a little. We'll give it a little because I don't remember how the rest of Gremlins goes. Um, but oh, I could hum it for you. But this is <laughs> this is your moment to shine. <laughs> What's the other movie? Oh, Ghostbusters. <laughs> Beat Street. Ghostbusters! Oh, bravo, my friend. Uh, Thank you, everybody. We'll see you next week. The opening weekend podcast is produced by Jason O'Connell, Fred Berman, and Dan Matisa, with help from Ethan Duff. Thank you for listening.